This morning we'll be in Genesis chapter 44. We're going to sum up a little bit of what happens in Genesis chapter 43. Today we'll be looking at Joseph's final test for his brothers. And as I said last week, Joseph did not send Joseph into Egypt merely to save the physical lives of the sons of Jacob, but also to save their souls. He sent Joseph to Egypt to save them body and soul. And today we'll see that the long years of guilt that the brothers carried are finally going to come to an end and Judah and his brothers are going to be changed men. And the process of testing his brothers is clearly as painful for Joseph as it was for his brothers. And more than once he breaks down and cries at the sight of them and the things that they have to say. So we must not think this morning that Joseph is testing his brothers out of some sort of callous need for revenge. It's not about that at all. He is doing this to see what sort of men his brothers have become and whether or not they are the same sorts of men who sold him into Egypt or if God has molded and fashioned them into something different. So I'm really going to start reading today. What's happened is the food which Joseph sent with them has run out. And Jacob has said, hey, go back to Egypt and buy us some more food. And Judah said, the man who sold us this food solemnly told us he would not see our face again unless we brought Benjamin. So let me take Benjamin. I myself will be a pledge for his safety. If anything happens to them, let the blame fall on me forever. And so the brothers get up and they take Benjamin. Jacob says, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. That's how bad the famine had gotten. Gives them what food, little food they had left, the dried fruit and things like that. And they go. And they head for Egypt to buy some more grain. Then I'll begin reading here in uh, verse 26. So they've come to his house. The steward has brought them in. Joseph is coming home. When Joseph came home, they brought him the gift they had carried into the house. And they bowed to the ground before him. He asked if they were well. And he said, how is your elderly father that you told me about? Is he still alive? And they answered, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they knelt low and paid homage to him. When he looked up and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, he asked, Is this your youngest brother you told me about? And then they said, Then he said, May God be gracious to you, my son. And Joseph hurried out of the room because he was overcome with emotion for his brother and he was about to weep. He went into an inner room and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out. Regaining his composure, he said, serve the meal. They served him by himself, his brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who were eating with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews, since that is detestable to them. They were seated before him in order by age, from firstborn to the youngest. The men looked at each other in astonishment. Portions were served to them from Joseph's own table, and Benjamin's portion was five times larger than any of theirs. They drank and were merry with Joseph. Joseph commanded his servant, his steward, fill the men's bags with as much food as they can carry, and put each one's silver at the top of his bag. Put my cup, the silver one, at the top of the youngest one's bag, along with his silver for his grain. So the steward did as Joseph told him. At morning light, the men were sent off on their donkeys. They had not gone very far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, Get up, pursue the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Isn't this the cup my master drinks from and uses for divination? 
what you have done is wrong. When he overtook them, he said these words to them. They said to him, why does my Lord say these things? Your servants could not possibly do such a thing. We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan the silver we found at the top of our bags. How could we steal silver and gold from your master's house? If it is found with one of us, your, one of us, your servants, he must die, and the rest of us will become your Lord's slaves. The steward replied, What you have said is right, but only the one who has found a habit will be my slave. The rest of you will be blameless. So each one quickly lowered his sack to the ground and opened it. The steward searched, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and each one loaded his donkey and returned to the city. When Joseph and his brothers reached Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell to the ground before him and said, and he said, What is this you've done? Joseph said, Didn't you know that a man like me could uncover the truth by divination? What can we say to my Lord? Judah replied. How can we plead? How can we justify ourselves? God has exposed your servant's iniquity. We are now my Lord's slaves, both we and the one in whose possession the cup was found. Then Joseph said, I swear that I will not do this. The man in whose possession the cup was found will be my slave. The rest of you can go in peace to your father. But Judah approached him and said, My Lord, please let your servant speak personally to my Lord. and Do not be angry with your servant, for you are like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servants, Do you have a father or a brother? And we answered my Lord and said, We have an elderly father and a younger brother, the child of his old age. The boy's brother's dead. He is the only one of his mother's sons left, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him to me so that I can see him. But we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father. If he were to leave, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, if the younger brother does not come down with you, you will not see me again. This is what happened when we went back to your servant, my father. We reported to him the words of my Lord. But our father said, go again and buy us a little food. We told him we cannot go unless our younger brother goes with us. If our younger brother isn't with us, we cannot see the man. Your, your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One is gone from me. I said he must have been torn to pieces, and I've never seen him again. If you also take this one from me and anything happens to him, you will bring my gray hairs down to Sheol in sorrow. So if I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, his life is wrapped up in the boy's life. When he sees that the boy is not with us, he'll die. Then your servants will have brought the gray hairs of your servant, our father, down to Sheol in sorrow. Your servant became accountable to my father for the boy, saying, If I do not return him to you, I will always bear the guilt for sinning against you, my father. Now please, let your servant remain here. As my Lord's slave. In place of the boy. Let him go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father without the boy? I could not bear to see the grief. That, over, that would overwhelm my father. So the final test that Joseph gives to the man. There's actually a couple of tests here. One is a little more subtle than the others. In case you might have missed it. You remember that the reason that Joseph is here in the first place is because his brother's jealousy 
because of Jacob's great love for him. Jacob loved Joseph more than other brothers, and it was obvious. And Joseph is worried that his brother Benjamin may be experiencing the same sort of persecution which he had experienced in his father's house. And so the thing that uh, got Joseph sent into slavery in the first place was favoritism. He wants to make sure that the favoritism which Jacob is showing to Benjamin has not caused his brothers to hate Benjamin as they hated him. Some of you, in fact, in this room may have experienced this sort of favoritism in your own home. You may have felt that your father or mother loved your sibling more than you or that favoritism was shown in your house. It's not unusual for people to experience this sort of thing. This theme runs throughout the scripture so we can sort of understand the jealousy of the brothers but not to the extent which they took it. And so Joseph shows favoritism to his brother Benjamin right in front of them all. He sets them up in their birth order showing that he knows which one is the oldest, which one is the youngest. And he gives to Benjamin five times what he gave to those other men. And I think that part of this is because Joseph's going to observe how do the brothers react when Benjamin is shown favor? Are they going to get jealous like they would have when it was me? Are they going to act like nothing was wrong? And in fact, what happens is they don't really make anything of it at all. In fact, they drink with Joseph, they eat, and they're all married together. So it doesn't seem to bother them that Benjamin has been shown favoritism. So Joseph concocts one final test. He he places his valuable cup, his silver cup, into the bag of Benjamin. And the brothers make a very rash vow. He puts that cup into Benjamin's sack, and then he sends his steward after them. And the brothers are like, hey, we wouldn't do such a thing. Why would we do this? It doesn't make any sense. Anybody who's found with a cup will be put to death and the rest of us will be the slaves of Pharaoh. And if you'll notice, the servant's very gracious. He says, no, we won't do that. Nobody's going to get killed. In fact, the rest of you can go on home. If one of you's found with a cup, then he'll become a slave, but that's it. The rest of you can go in peace. They have no idea that the cup has been placed in Benjamin's sack. And when they see it, they're going to tear their clothes and grief and this is the moment of truth years ago these same brothers had abandoned joseph in a heartbeat to be rid of him they had thrown him down into a well and they had sold him into slavery despite his pleas of anguish that followed them from the well if their hearts were unchanged they would not only have had no problem giving benjamin up to joseph but they would have gladly done so but every one of them loads their donkey and heads back with the servant to the city. They refuse to abandon Benjamin. All the brothers, it says here, are willing to go into servitude. It says, all of us, we're all your slaves now because of this thing which has happened. So I want to ask you in this, why would Joseph test his brothers in this way? Is this some kind of evil thing that Joseph's doing to his brothers to test them to see what they would do? I would say that it's not evil at all. In fact, in Genesis, have we not already seen the Lord himself test people in very extreme circumstances? I'm thinking of their their great-grandfather Abraham. Remember when their great-grandfather was in the land traveling around and God said, get up, take your son Isaac, your only son, and take him to Mount Moriah, which I will show you, and sacrifice him there to me on that mountain. 
God tested Abraham's faithfulness in that way. And so Joseph is testing their faithfulness. Joseph can't see into the hearts of these men. He doesn't know where their hearts are. And through his testing, God is bringing up the past to the top so that it can finally be done with. Joseph cannot see into the hearts of his brothers to see what's there, but he can test them to see what happens. And so interestingly enough, they come back. Benjamin's got the cup. And Judah confesses before Joseph these words. God has found out the iniquity of your servants. He doesn't make any excuse. He doesn't say we don't know how the cup got there. It's a mystery to us. We don't know what's happened. We would never steal from you. So what exactly is Judah confessing when he says... The Lord God has found out the iniquity of your servants. The entire time that they're going through this, they're always bickering back and forth. This has happened to us because of what we've done to Joseph. This has happened to us because of what we've done to Joseph. And when they open up that sack and there's the silver cup and they realize that all of their lives are forfeit as slaves to Joseph, they thought, this is what we deserve. We sold our brother into slavery and now God has put this cup in our sack and we're all going to go into slavery too. And so when Judah confesses the Lord has found out the iniquity of your servants, he's not confessing that they sold the cup, that they stole the cup. He's confessing that they are deserving the punishment which Joseph would give to them. Because they were, as the Bible says in the old King James, man-stealers, kidnappers of their own brother and sold him into slavery. Judah knows here he's innocent of sealing the cup, but he knows that he's not an innocent man. So he cannot stand before Joseph and say that he is innocent. Our own Lord Jesus said this, and this is, this is application for us today. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 2, Nothing, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. It's in Luke chapter 12, verse 2. So we need to pause just for a moment to think about this. For over, I don't know, 17, 18 years now, these men have carried this guilt of selling their brother into slavery. And God has winnowed them till it's come to the top. They have seen for all these years their father carry this heavy grief at the loss of his son. And Judah has come to the point where he cannot stand. He knows that it's his fault that his father's like this. He knows that it's the fault of his brothers that he's like this. And he cannot stand to think of doing this thing to his father again. In fact, Judah's confession has something beautiful in it. He says, this is the youngest son of our father, born in his old age, and our father loves him. Judah knew that Jacob loved Benjamin, and he knew that Jacob loved Benjamin more than he loved him. But his concern was not for himself, and the attention which he received for his father, but instead his empathy and compassion was for his dad. Perhaps he felt after what he had done to Joseph that he was not worthy of that affection. We don't know exactly what was going on in Judah's mind, but we do know this. God has orchestrated every single event in the lives of these men to bring them to this point so that their sin, which had been covered up for so long, would be uncovered. Now, I want to talk seriously to you, and I want you to listen to me, because I know good and well in this room, 
There are people here who are carrying sin. I know this. Everywhere there's people gathered, you have done things of which you are ashamed. I know this. We talked about it last week. And it bothers you. And you think about it. These men carried it for 18 years. They were afraid. What will happen if my father finds out that Joseph wasn't killed by wild animals? That we sold him into slavery. Deprived him of his son. What will happen? What will happen if people find out who you really are? It's a heavy thing to carry. Do you know what Jesus says about it? First of all, he says there's nothing hidden that won't come to light. But he also said this. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden and burdened. And I will give you rest for your souls. He's not talking about physical burdens, brothers and sisters. He's talking about bringing to him your sin. The burden which you carry, the shame which you bear. You do not have to carry it any longer. He knows what you've done. He invites you to be free. Give to him your burden. Don't be like these men who carried their shame for so long. Today, God, in our story, brings them to repentance, forces them to face the sin which they had done. And they are not going to be punished for it. In fact, they are going to be forgiven. So Joseph's final test brings about this confession of Judah. He says, what can we do? The Lord has found us out. And Joseph said, don't worry about it. You haven't done anything. Go in peace to your father. Only this one that it's found with needs to stay. The rest of you have done no harm. Gives them a perfect opportunity to get out of that place. Finally, we got rid of Joseph. Now we've gotten rid of Benjamin. The daddy's two favorites are gone and we can be fine. But instead, Judah says, can I talk to you just for a minute? Just, just me and you. Don't be angry with me. I'm your servant. I'm a nobody. But I can't do this. I cannot do this. If that boy doesn't show up at home, my dad's going to die. His life is bound up in the life of Benjamin. He loves him. He's the son of his old age. So please, take me as your slave and let the boy go home. It's beautiful. See, true repentance is not just words. It's action from a changed heart. No longer is Judah wanting, and it was, by the way, Judah's big idea to sell him. The rest of the boys wanted to kill him. And Judah said, well, what good does that do us? Let's sell him and make some money. It was Judah's idea to sell him. And now it's his idea, let me stay. Let me stay and be a slave in this face, in the place of my brother Benjamin. Judah is more concerned with the life of his father than he is his own life, and he has come to terms with how his father is. He could not imagine depriving him of a second son. So Judah offers to take Benjamin's place. And what we have here is a beautiful picture of the gospel through an imperfect man. Imperfect picture. First of all, Judah says these words, and it reminds me of the words of our Lord. There's two things that are so beautiful about this. One, Jesus said this, sixteen twenty-five, Matthew sixteen twenty-five. Whoever would save his life would lose it. 
but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Judah was ready to give up his life. And when he does, he's finally, finally set free. And you know that the man who spoke those words, Jesus Christ, in Matthew 16, 25, is Judah's great, great, great grandson. <laughs> because our Lord Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Not only do we see this truth that if you want to find your life, you must lose it. And if you try to keep your life, uh, excuse me, if you try to keep your life, you will lose it. If you lose your life for Christ's sake, you will find it. And I want to go back to that sin and shame we were talking about. The reason we cover up our shame is because we don't want our life to change. We want everything to be the same. We don't want to ruffle feathers. We want everything to go smooth. We don't want to change. But if you want to live... You've got to confess. Not only do we see that, but we see in Judah's offer the pre-shadowing of the offering of Christ himself. We've seen this before. When Abraham was on the mountain with Isaac, and he had bound his own son to that altar, and he had raised a knife to end his own son's life, the Lord said, Do not hurt the boy. And Abraham looked, and he saw a ram caught in the thicket. And the Lord solemnly swore by himself because there was nothing greater by which he could swear that he himself would bless Abraham's children forever. And the words of Abraham came true when he said, when Isaac said, hey, here's the wood, here's the knife, where's the wood? I mean, where's the, uh, where's the lamb for the offering? And Abraham said, my son, the Lord himself will provide the lamb for the offering. And here Judah says, take my life and let the boy go free. And this is the gospel. This is the Christmas season. This is the reason that we celebrate Christmas. Because as the Lord himself was being crucified on the cross, he said, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. The Son of Man has come that may he may give his life as a ransom for many, Jesus said. Judah offered himself that his brother Benjamin might go free. And the reason that Jesus Christ came to be a child is so that he could give his life so that you and I could go free. And so if you are carrying the shame of sin today, if you know good and well that what you've done is sin against the Lord, some days you have better days than others. And some days you're successful at pushing this out of your mind and saying, all this religious stuff is dumb and God's not going to say anything about this. It's really not that big a deal. And we use our reason to sear our conscience and keep a lid on what we've done. That's what these guys did. But sometimes the conviction of God breaks through. And you understand for a moment what is holy and what is not. That what you've done is wrong. And in that moment, Jesus says, Take me and let the boy go free. Oh, friend, you can be free this morning. You can be free of your sin and your shame. Jesus will take it. There is no need to stay in the prison house any longer. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one who does good. There is not one. 
You are not unusual. You are not even the worst. You're probably not the worst one in the room. You might be, but it doesn't matter. Because the Apostle Paul said that he was the chief of sinners and Christ still saved him. The reason that we have this story, this beautiful story of Joseph, is because God is teaching us through how he lived. And next week we'll see how he dealt with the fact that his brothers had done this terrible thing to him. It's so that you can see that God is a loving, forgiving God and he will not let you get away with it. Not because, just because he's so angry at your sin, but because he loves you so much. Because he knows that your sin is killing you and he knows that your sin is a prison house. And today you can be free. He's offering himself for you. There is a reason that when Jesus Christ was born, that shepherds are the ones who gathered. Because it was shepherds who kept the lambs for slaughter. And that's what our Lord is. That little baby... We think about it, and I say this every Christmas. We think about babies, we think of them so sweet and innocent. And listen to me. Jesus was as sweet and innocent on the day he died as he was on the day he was born. Because he never sinned. Always loved. Always followed his father. Never did one thing wrong. Why? So you, his daughter, could go free. So that you, his son, could go free. That's my hope for you, Christmas. That's the beauty of Christmas. These thoughts of love is what decorates our trees, our presents. This is the motivation for all that we do. It's what I see at Christmas. So this morning, my invitation to you is this. I wonder if through this sermon series, if God has been testing you as he tested the sons of Jacob. And I wonder if today, like Joseph, like jo- Judah said, take me and let the boy go free. Can you hear the gospel in that this morning? Would you like to be free too? Come to Christ. Confess your sin to him. He will embrace you. And you will indeed go free. For the one whom the Son of Man sets free is free indeed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we ask this morning that you will have mercy on us. If there is someone here who does not know Christ, God, have mercy on them. We are so good at wearing our mask. Father, if there is